Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Latest Sunny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector, and with me, as usual, is uh, Rob Hirschfeld. Good uh, good afternoon, Rob. Hello, Stephen. Good well, to talk with you. Well, it's good to talk to you again. It's a Friday afternoon, which is very exciting to record podcasts on Friday. I think we're more upbeat on Friday podcast recordings than Mondays, but uh, I'd have to go <laughs> back and look to see... <laughs> Looking, we're looking, we're looking to the to the putting our feet up on the desks and not our feet under the desks syndrome. That would make sense. I think that could be it. Friday afternoons may be the better time. Well, I, I'm yeah. excited. We have another new guest, which is fantastic. And as usual, we getting responses from people listening to our podcast, and we talk about it all the time. And we have a second person, so let me uh, introduce our guest to get a little information, and then off we'll go. So let me welcome Adam Kranitz, who is the director of brand and communications at CloudChecker. Uh, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Great. So, Adam, give us a little background, maybe a little bit about yourself, about CloudChecker, and then from there, uh, you know, Rob will begin. I'll say interrogation, but I'll say it with a smile because we're friendly. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, in uh, technology uh, communications and marketing and sales for, uh, I date myself over 20 years now, primarily on the immediate entertainment side. Um, and then about five years ago, I started work while I was at Avid Technology in Boston. We started to uh, make the shift from essentially box software to uh, software as a service, delivering the creative tools as a uh, SaaS product. Um, and in doing that, uh, kind of opened up the world of the cloud and how cloud-enabled workflows uh, you know, allow a lot more innovation in software application development. Uh, and then from there, I uh, joined uh, CloudChecker, where I've been for about two years, uh, where we are you know, kind of the leading independent uh, cloud management platform for uh, cost compliance and security uh, in public cloud. It's cool. Well, I, I think there's a lot of fun stuff for us to dig into, and I, I know one of the things that that pulled you pulled you in to to want to talk was some of our our interest in edge, which I want to get to. But just as a tee up, sort of what's what you know what's your what's your thought? Just to give us a little bit of a direction, and then we'll take the wandery path and and get back to it. You just you just named one of my favorite uh, uh, podcasters. Love those guys at Wondering. They do a great job. Um, Check out Business Words if you're not already listened to it after you're done with this episode. But um, you know, I think uh, you know, I think what's really interesting when we we look around the industry, there's a lot of marketing jargon. Some of it I'm probably responsible for as well. Uh, but uh, when you talk about things like IoT or Edge, and I think you look at kind of the consumer space where IoT is kind of holding court, um, there's a real story there, and the story is the billions of dollars that are waiting to be spent. On on this IT transformation from data centers into into the world of the public cloud and how that enables uh, businesses that were never possible before and how that accelerates innovation and how that pushes out to not only you know you traditionally think about public cloud you think about the San Francisco-based startup company that's a team of 10 people are doing application development in the cloud where they would traditionally have to buy, you know, racks of equipment. But that's just a small part of the story. I think the bigger opportunity out there is in the world of manufacturing and heavy industry um, and how cloud-enabled workloads accelerate their transformation. Um, and then probably where that makes the most sense is 
kind of these these edge cases where they've got there's heavy equipment out in the field and there's they're bandwidth constrained or resource constrained so there's 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 these there's these giant opportunities for developing edge computing and then how do you overlap that back with the lot you know the larger cloud platforms like gcp azure and and aws and um the innovation that that, that enables it's really interesting so you you have an interesting perspective um both from what cloud checker is doing but the way you're laying out this problem because you you're you're seeing a, a relatively linear progression to me between sort of traditional enterprise IT cloud and then edge as being an extension of cloud um you know sort of sort of that conti- that continuum is that a fair sort of a fair characterization of what you're thinking? I guess uh, in my naivete, I do see it as a linear progression out to edge, okay. but uh, part of the reason I'm here is to, to learn more. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's naive. I think that we have different perspectives um, on, from guests on the show who you know are, are seeing it. And so one of the things I like to tease apart, especially with your background, where you're really working on helping people optimize and leverage cloud resources and infrastructure um, you know, where that goes forward. But before we go forward, you know, let's come back a little bit because, you know, you you made a statement that I, that I'll, I'll ask you to defend a little bit about innovation and why, why you think cloud, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to take away the crutch. No, you can't just tell me it's cheaper and easier to get resources. <laughs> Is there something that makes the cloud inherently more innovative than traditional enterprise IT has been? So that's a that's a really great point, uh, and to some degree, you have to abstract away the technology from the human factor. So I think uh, I'm going to reverse course a little bit and say one of the big sure. governors on on innovation happening in 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 all industries is is the human factor. Um, so part of what we have to look at is. Uh, are we able to get the right skills into into organizations that would enable innovation? Right now, that's a bit of a problem. Um, but where I do see innovation or uh, occurring is when you have um, uh, you have traditional companies like f- uh, financial services uh, who uh, are required to create. Uh, audit trails and required to to meet certain compliance standards um, and are required to have uh, the ability to have multiple people in in the organization involved with the decision making around data governance and data privacy um, things like public cloud when you're creating cloud centers of excellence in an organization are allowing companies to move um, uh, much faster in application development and uh, bringing new features to their end customers through the use of collaborating around cloud technologies. So we're finding customers are actually able to, uh, our customers are able to provide more features and better features faster uh, through the enabling of cloud centers of excellence by bringing different teams together around this common goal of uh, IT modernization typically happening on cloud platforms. Hmm. That makes sense. I mean, I guess some of what I think of when you describe it that way is, you know, on-premises or traditional IT exists to say no to things. Exactly <laughs> right. That's and, kind of where and, I'm going. And, and the cloud, and the cloud, you know, a lot of those barriers came down for commercial, you know, in, in some parts, just for commercial reasons, right? It was Amazon's best interest for to make to reduce the friction of, of making a buy decision um, by making it smaller and make it easier. Exactly. Um, but but and I, I mean this this to me is you know I'll, I'll give you the 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 
the the wide easy shot for for cloud checker right the the flip side of that is loss of control so i mean there's got to be a balance from that perspective between saying you know yes we're going to in, enable innovation by giving people more knobs to turn and more more candy to to, <laughs> to put in the bowl um but at the same time a lot of the the on premises legacy processes were existed for compliance and audit and checks and security and all that stuff right you can't just walk walk out of that to unleash and I'm air quoting unleash innovation yeah i would agree i would say you know from a grand scheme of things cloud isn't the domain of the it department um and i apologize to my friends in it for having to say that it really is um a uh unifying um technology that brings primarily in our experience the finance team the it team the devops team um uh, and uh the cio's office into um how do we make strategic business decisions about um uh growing into new markets or or refining our product or having beta, better data analytics about how our customers are using us. Um, and that's why, you know, I reference this idea of a cloud center of excellence, which a lot of organizations are using to kind of pull those teams together around using the cloud for their business, as opposed to, oh, uh, is our data center operational 99.9% .9 of the time. But to your point, uh, now you have these shadow IT organizations happening where you have you have a typically a large enterprise organization who have several divisions and they're all spinning up, uh, you know, AWS accounts or different EC2s and different resources and maybe even some multi-cloud stuff. You got some, you know, you got the DevOps guys who only want to use GCP. So you've got now two cloud platforms you've got to support in your organization. You know, what you're talking about to me is multi-cloud, but what... You know, when we're defining cloud, which I define as infrastructure with an a API, it's a very simple definition. It doesn't have to be in a cloud provider, Amazon or Google. It could be, it's more of an attitude. It's really how you're approaching your infrastructure and your development processes, you know, that's, which is hybrid. How does that play in for you in, in this model of work? There's, you know, I would say in theory, it makes sense to have one vendor as a cloud platform provider, right? You have one throat to choke, so to speak. Uh, you're all in, you only have one enterprise agreement, but we know in reality that there are instances where you're going to have to support a multi-cloud environment just because there's already enterprise license agreements in place with Microsoft. Um, as part of those enter enterprise license agreements, you're already getting Azure probably thrown in for free or for a low cost. Um, you've got certain areas of your team who prefer to use those platforms for development for whatever reason they want to run their linux workloads on azure as opposed to aws for whatever reason so in practicality um, you're going to need to support not only just a multi-cloud uh, environment but also a hybrid environment and that's our philosophy has always been you kind of got to meet your customer where they are not where you want them to be uh, the that ideal state uh, and that of course means that you're going to have to be able to peer into not only multi, multiple cloud providing multiple cloud native platforms, but also peer into to on-prem environments as well. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, when when I talk to people about hybriding, it's not that they want you know one tool to rule the world. What they mm -hmm. really want is they want the tools that they're using to work in multiple places, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I I could see somebody coming to Cloud Checker and saying, "Yeah, I love what you do." But a lot of my IT is still captive behind that firewall. 
right? I want that process. I want that control. I want your tool to work there. I, you don't necessarily have to create a, you know, you know, move, uh, move everything to Amazon, but isn't necessarily a good answer. Right. And for, I from yeah, and I think the value prop there for a lot of companies like Cloud Checker is, you know, there's this there's this term single pane of glass. I prefer to call it one dashboard approach, which is the idea that, mm-hmm. listen, you, you, we understand that at some times you're traditionally you're going to log into AWS Cost Explorer and do some do some work there. Then you're going to go into your Azure uh, dashboard, and then you've got some other things happening with your VMware dashboard. And and what we're ultimately trying to do is provide one layer on top of that, so you so that your team. Um, of which could be 10 people or 100 people have access to a single unifying um, uh, dashboard into which you're able to ingest your cost data and your usage data and your security information, your monitoring and your logs and your analytics and and everything else that you need to run your business um, uh, online uh, in the cloud. Uh, And so I think where customers are going to, okay, we've got all these enabling technologies, but the governance around that. Imagine, imagine having to use three or four different tools, and then having governance around three or four different tools. Who has access to what? So ultimately, <laughs> it doesn't take any effort to imagine that at yeah, all. Yeah. So ultimately, we're all that <laughs> it takes more effort to imagine not having it. provisioning of all of this, yeah. right? That's where you kind of go crazy. So I think that's where you see companies like Cloud Checker um, are really helping companies understand getting control of that shadow IT organization, and then the provisioning and the governance around who has access to what assets and who doesn't, and when things change, what's changed, and snapping back to its original state. I that's that. That's what's driving the IT guys crazy these days. Makes a lot of sense, and I, I could see. You know, we were talking about edge, and then you know, we want to talk about edge as this continuum. You know, the way I like to define edge, and I'm, I'm happy to hear hear your tweaks on that. Um, you know, I think of edge as as IT infrastructure with with a constraint, um, sort of that not elastic, uh, cap- you know, capability, but. But something where you're you're going to manage it feels to me like the, your ability to control resource consumption and track it and be monitored monitored is going to be even more important in those environments. That's true, and I, I also wonder if you take a kind of a Moore's law approach to that. Um, you know, in five years, is edge going to be bandwidth constrained or processor constrained as as chips get mm. uh, uh, more efficient and as as five G networks are, or and beyond are enabled? How much how edge is edge in five to ten years, or is it just uh, essentially fade away and become cloud? Uh, if it, if it was just a lot of cloud, then it, I would say it's our management. You're, we're going to have we're going to have to define things a little bit differently because it, so at that point if if you if you take that extreme then really edge becomes a locality question right and moving workloads into the into the place closest right that then it's then it's a um, quality of service you know latency I need to move my computing around it's a different it's a slightly different problem it's a it's you're you're really moving it's a it's a workload dynamicity issue is that is that what you're thinking from that perspective i think so or is it is it the application of automation and artificial intelligence and machine learning to that unique problem i almost wonder if edge is more Mm. use case oriented i need this machinery or i need this thing to do this specific thing really really well whereas cloud is more generally just, you know, in the old days we would call it heavy iron computing, right? It's the big racks and racks right. just processing. Um, so I wonder if it's more, you know, we need to apply a certain uh, AI to enable um, this this equipment in the field to 
um, do its thing with as limited uh, uh, operator uh, um, uh, intervention as possible. That, that makes sense to me. But I, when I think about the innovation that you were talking about, right, the, the interesting thing about manufacturing and AI and manufacture, or IoT and manufacturing and edge is that you can take what has been a, a traditional process throw sensors and analytics at it right. in ways that are evolving. Right. And, and to me, the evolving is really important. Um, we have, you know, we've heard examples about like jet engines that have you know, hundreds of sensors now, and you can tune them because you're collecting all this data. It's not something that you know in advance what, all, what you're gonna do. You're literally, you know, creating a, a, a sensor overload, you know, a, a, a sensor rich environment and then figuring out in a lot of cases how to use that data. Well, yeah. So you've, you, you've now dug a giant hole, you filled it with water and you've got a data lake, right? Uh, you've got this, you, you've got this huge <laughs> pond from all these sensors filling it and filling and filling it. Now, where do you do the analytics necessary to understand what the hell just happened? Um, and uh, uh, what's, what business objective is this solving for? And I think that's where you kind of bring that back to the cloud side, which is you've got this almost unlimited compute power, only limited based on your budget, um, uh, to, to make sense of all that information that you're collecting through the sensor data. Right, but in, ingressing all that information into, into a cloud environment for analytics is not you know, it's not necessarily a, a sustainable model from that perspective, right? We're going to have to do the analytics in the field. Um, you know, or is this something where it becomes a cost question and you're, you're, you have to be selective is, you know, how, how much, I mean, you, you, you have your pulse, you, you know, this is really your, your, you know, where, where your, your eyes are, how much of people's decision-making in, in infrastructure consumption is, changed when they have accurate cost information so i think that's that's exactly what we're looking at day to day um infrastructure as a service is expanding exponentially um and the only thing that really slows that expansion is a confidence that business units feel in having a grasp of what the heck is happening with our resources and that we're not overspending so uh one of the first reasons people come to us uh, is to say, listen, um, we can't make sense of our cost and billing reports uh, coming out of the cloud provider. Um, it's just overly complex um, and we're not sure what we're spending money on. Uh, and we're not sure if there's some duplication of resources and we're not sure if this thing that we bought six months ago is something we still need. Um, it's it's highly complex. Uh, and. AWS uh, uh, does an amazing job at providing the infrastructure. I would say that their their gap, um, uh, as much as we love them, their gap is the ability to um, uh, simplify uh, that billing data for the typical end user. But I mean, to me, it's 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 more than that. It, you end up wanting it to be actionable with what with what you're describing with the, these edge scenarios. Is all of a sudden. Right, you're making a decision about how much of that data you're going to analyze. You know, are you going to be moving pieces back and forth? How much is it worth to you to tune this model? How much? Right. To, this is one of the things we we haven't had anybody talk about the the cost side of you know of of this of the data mobility that in these infrastructures. Right. You you actually are watching people respond to 
oh, that was much more expensive than I thought, or wow, that was really cheap. I want, you know, I, I should do that more often. Yeah, I think that's, the, you know, there's a, that's a that's a business, that's a really tangible business response. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't have any feel for how people respond. Yeah, that's a typical next step. I think you're probably two steps ahead of uh, most business units, uh, where at first they just want to get that confidence that they're they're not uh, they don't have duplication of resources, uh, that they're not overspending, that they're they're right sizing their environments, that they're using cost optimization techniques like reserved interest purchasing or purchasing ahead or or arbitrage of resources to be able to get the best right. possible price out of their IAAS provider. Uh, once they have that general confidence, then I think that it allows them to take the next step, which is then they'll build out their their the, build out their uh, network beyond uh, core uh, uh, infrastructure as a service and start thinking about data ingress in and out of uh, field operations. Um, and I think that's an area that's really interesting to us. We haven't quite looked at that yet in terms of of uh, looking at cost optimization and analytics on. Uh, moving data in and out of edge and cloud, but I think that uh, uh, it's a very interesting area to look into. And and I think, again, I think businesses will get there. Um, the ones that the ones that feel most confident about their ability to wrap their head around where their money is being sent, spent and what what resources are running are the ones that are going to be most confident in taking the next step and moving to the edge. This is really interesting because I, I, in, in all the conversations we've had about edge, right, you've been able to connect the dots from a cost consumption perspective in a way that, that we really haven't. And I'm interested to drill a little bit deeper on that because, and, and there, you know, there's a certain degree of fixed industrial automation and, and pieces like that where it's, you know, I just buy some servers, I stick them on premises, you know, they have a fixed capacity. Mm -hmm. um, but in cloud, Right. You can make, you know, people designing applications can say, I want to add in this something, you know, extra resource and a machine learning algorithm or something like that. And then they can balance the pros and cons against the cost is, you know, how, and, and then networking is a huge component of edge and moving data around and, and things like that. We, we, people haven't factored in the cost. Um, is that a reasonable thing to think that we're going to have dashboards that show, you know, this highly distributed infrastructure, but but what the costs are and how granular will that be? Yeah, I think that's a question a lot of uh, cloud solution architects are are looking to us to help with cloud solutions architects in, in the enterprise. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a, a you know discussion around the idea of how, how viable is a multi cloud. Um, uh, position for a business because ultimately you're going to have mm -hmm. data ingress and egress um, cost concerns around that. Do I want to right. replicate my it, efforts across providers? But edge edge is edge is going to be inherently multi cloud. I mean, there's it, you know, I, from my perspective, what you just described is an edge infrastructure. You're not going to be a single provider for edge. If you're doing a distributed edge, you're going to be in different locations. That you're going to have different providers. You're going to have different network costs. Um, that, that, that seems like the, the, the basis, right? This multi-cloud hybrid environment and you're going to have your own, probably you're going to have your own captive stuff mixed into all that stuff. If you're in a factory, you're going to be on premises managing your factory. You're not going to send all your data to the, you know, colo, the, the, you know, nearby colo, maybe you will. And I'm, hmm. I'm not thinking it through, but 
What what you're I mean it's 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 much more complex than just give me you know scrape the Amazon bill from that <laughs> perspective right I still think you're going to be looking at uh, any data architect is going to be looking at uh, availability zones and regions as well for their cloud provider right they want to they probably want to get their their uh, edge infrastructure as close to the the the, 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 the availability zones that make sense for us and we actually have a, a kind of a, a little tool on our website called Zone Checker ZoneChecker.com um, that uh, helps show in the where in the world uh, each of the major uh, cloud platforms have availability zones and regions set up, and they're not all equal. You think they might be, but actually, in some cases, Azure has an edge ahead of AWS in certain regions of the world. Um, so that's that's part of the consideration is figuring out where your where your cloud provider is, so you can you know you kind of get your your infrastructure as close as possible to it, um, to, uh, just in terms of uh, latency and uptime. Um, but to, to your point, I think you know I think being able to source in cost data around um, um, and uh, crunching that data um, on that edge infrastructure is is uh, an area where uh, companies like CloudChecker are going to have to put uh, put in a lot of thought. Uh, and again, my my thesis is that um, the further we go down the road here, uh, edge becomes less edgy and becomes more mainstream. Just as uh, compute power increases, processor power increases, and uh, um, uh, uh, the the, the bandwidth that uh, um, uh, the telecoms provide uh, in increases exponentially. I mean, we think about 5G, it's not really built around voice, you know, per se, it's, it's really built to be a, a data infrastructure network. So um, mm -hmm. how does that, you know, how does, you know, global deployment or at least North American deployment of 5G infrastructure affect edge? That, 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 I think that's an unanswered question. Well, this this to me, and we've we've had some conversations around this from a architectural perspective, but not from a cost perspective. I, it, it seems super trivial to me to think of an edge application where somebody designed something that was too chatty or homed back to you know US US West one, yeah. and and uh, and caused an enormous bill really quickly when. You know, without realizing that they had they had accidentally left you know the database in the wrong place or or done that, because I, I, I know that happens in, in cloud use normally, and and you're uncovering people's you know architectural you know hidden architectural assumptions mm -hmm. uh, also. Um, you know, at some point, does does you know does the tooling that does the billing also become this sort of architectural safety net? I think. Uh what you're going to see is uh, cloud-based tools evolve into um, business analytics tools um, so that a, any one business will have complete insight into um, their consumption of SaaS resources. So not just application, but are not just uh, cloud enabling technologies like uh, infrastructure as a service, but any SaaS application that they're running, uh, you're you're going to need mm. business analytics around how many licenses of Salesforce do I have? How what's going on with um, uh, uh, my Azure stack uh, on-prem uh, infrastructure? What's happening in uh, VMware, my virtualized environments. That's all, any business is going to tell you, listen, I need to wrap my head around my entire IT infrastructure. So where we are today, I think two, three years from now, you're going to essentially, all these tools are going to be, or at least the smart tools are going to be uh, migrating towards completes, again, going back to that phrase of single pane of glass or, or one dashboard, look into 
um, how am I spending money across my entire IT infrastructure, not just my cloud spend? I, I think you're right. I think that to a degree, the, the fragmented nature makes, um, <laughs> means there's a lot of hidden costs and there hasn't been much of a reckoning yet on, on where all those costs are, uh, the way they, the way we used to do it in legacy. All right, you think of a, you think of a, a technology stack and, and any, uh, organization, and we're not just talking about, you know, networking stuff. We're talking about HR, uh, uh, systems, uh, enable employee onboarding. And you got, um, you got finance applications. You've got customer facing applications. You mm -hmm. got everything from uh, up and down the, uh, the stack. All that is a, is a cost center. Uh, and all that needs to be ingested somewhere. And I, you know, as much as we, don't like to admit it. There's still a lot of spreadsheet accounting happening in most organizations, um, where you're, you're literally doing everything in Excel to try to, to figure out where the money is being spent, and all that needs to move into um, something that is auditable, um, that gives you a point in time analysis of where money was being spent, where resources were being spent, especially for heavily regulated industries that uh, need to uh, have an audit trail. But it strikes me that it's, you know, what you're describing isn't just a problem with the lack of, of audit and it's, there's a huge timeliness component, right? Because if, if you're incurring these bills and, and Edge, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to drive this like crazy because you're going to have to figure out how to charge people for mm -hmm. it, um, you know, you could be three months before you've re you realize that you, were, you left the taps on. <laughs> on something right um you know I, the way I, the way i first heard about your 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 category was i described it as you know the spilt milk problem um right you can you know if it takes you a long time to realize that the milk is spilling uh you're you've got a lot of milk spilt right if you can catch it you know early then it, then it's a much much less of a problem and edge is going to be much more complex. Yeah, I think a lot of this governance too, really, is just you know who in your organization has the right to spin up resources, turn things on, turn things off. Um, but to your other point, I think uh, there's not just you made a really good point. I want to kind of drill into is just, it's just not just how where are we spending money and and governing that or or or, or accounting for it, but there's also a very important job of uh, charging back to the right business unit. So. If you've got multiple departments or multiple brands uh, in a in a in a large organization, um, each of those have probably has a P and L. Um, so you need to be able to uh, when you have a when you have an IT organization that's covering across brands or across business units, they need to be able to successfully um, understand who's doing the consumption and who needs to get charged for that consumption. So there's a chargeback model and and actually yeah. invoicing them as as if they were a customer. Here's your invoice for for last month's uh, cloud charge. And you need to be able to spit that out. So that's a big problem we're solving for too. Is like and and, 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 and here's and here's and here's a bottle of whiskey to console your, your pains and sorrows. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right, so so that uh, there, there's one last piece for me to tie up with this though, because you you said you know earlier about level of automation with Edge, because I, I think right one of the common themes that we hear with Edge is that it's just going to be much more automated even than what we look at for cloud, but you know, at that point, you're trusting, you know, scale up, scale down automation to, you know, spend money for you. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in I mean, some people are like, oh, you're trusting them to run your app. That's like, yeah, sure. You're trusting them to spend your money. Um, 
are we ready to trust automation to that extent that it, you know, you're, you're, you're sending that bottle of whiskey to the, to the algorithm that, that spun up, you know, uh, you know, 20, you know, hundred edge sites when you only needed 10 or something like that. How do you, what do you, well, remember this, where do we go? There's, there's automation and then there's automation. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, we have something in our app called fix now or fix always. So a problem comes up, you have an option. You can, fix the problem now, or if you click the fix always button, it just sets a rule to always, whenever that problem comes up, it automatically fixes it. So you can let automation run wild and, and essentially say hands off. I think most companies are right now more comfortable and in, in having automation serve a purpose where there's a, uh, there's an alerting happening. Um, and in, in some cases, you know, whether it needs to spit, to, spit that alerting out to Slack or PagerDuty or, or, or e email or SMS, uh, at least you have some automation rules in place that, that, will alert you to a, a potential issue. Um, so that's reducing the amount of staff or time that you need on um, manually checking things or or a 24 seven uh, uh, physical coverage of, of your infrastructure. And then there's the full on automation where you're letting an algorithm make, make those decisions for you. And I, I suspect and guys tell me if I'm wrong, I think most businesses aren't quite ready for that at scale. Uh, it may work for smaller applications, but I think right now you've kind of have, maybe I'm coining this term, but hybrid automation where uh, you're letting it run up to a certain point and then human intervention kind of kicks in to make that uh, the business decision. There's going to be a trust challenge. Right, for sure. Well, I was going to say that, you know, I'm fully ready to fully hand over automation and uh, let automation do my job, whatever that is, and just uh, you're going to let inter inter automation interrupt our conversation. That's Steve? correct. I am automating the interruption, and I will uh, set a no. thirty-minute limit. And now a computer will come on, and there won't be any guilt. I can't guilt an automation <laughs> the same way that I can guilt you for interrupting. <laughs> there you go, well, Adam. Uh, thanks again for joining. As I said, we always try to keep it around thirty minutes. We went a little over, but the conversation was really good. Um, thanks again for joining us today. If uh, any of our listeners are interested about yourself, your company, uh, where should they go? Guys, I appreciate you having me on. It's been really fun. Uh, if you have any interest in learning more about what we do as a cloud management platform, I encourage you to check out cloudchecker.com. That's C-L-O-U-D-C-H-E-C-K-R.com. And I'm available, Adam Kranitz, on LinkedIn and Twitter if anybody wants to reach out and say hi. Well, thanks, Adam. And Rob, I think you had something as well to uh, talk about. I know we have Eric Wright all the time on, so it looks like we snuck you on his podcast. I, <laughs> the rotation came up and I won the toy cost. Uh, yeah, we did a nice talk um, and he doesn't interrupt me. We just keep going. It's awesome. Yeah, I know. It's an hour conversation about, about VMworld. 15 minutes of it was running, so People might, if you're interested in VM world, <laughs> start 16 minutes in. But um, yeah, we did. We had a really nice conversation. So check out his podcast uh, with me. Uh, that VM world thing. I I noticed on Twitter there's a T-shirt now if you do this early morning run, and I saw that uh, Rackn has a logo on yep. this T-shirt. Uh, the digital rebar logo, Claudia yeah. got pulled into it on the back. Yeah, so you can not only be looking great as you as you run faster than me, I will appreciate looking at your back. Well, I I'm going to be at VMworld, so <laughs> maybe I need to participate in this and uh, and get a T-shirt. And it, the, the, it, pro, the proceeds, such as they are, benefit a good cause. Will they, there be they, people they there to with. like carry me through the walk for those of us that can't really run? 
I, there'll be cricket pitches and you can just hit cricket run. <laughs> there it is. We had to put pitch. cricket back in. My, <laughs> this is, cricket must come up in all conversations. Well, Adam, I apologize for our random discussion at the end. But, uh, hey, thanks to both of you for joining us. And uh, to our uh, listeners, again, if you'd like to come on and talk and answer, you know, ask questions, as Adam did here, we're happy to have you on. And uh, we look forward to uh, pushing our next podcast soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks. It's been fun.